welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. Okay, this week on More to Come, 2017 Eisner nominations. This week in Marvel. Uh, and following that, this week in DC, uh, Paper Cuts has a new tweens line, and we're going to talk Guardians of the Galaxy and a little bit about the comics, too. So, Eisner nominations, 2017. Um, I think uh, we're all pleased to see that Charlie Chan Hawk Chai, uh, Sonny Liu's masterpiece, yes. essentially, uh, kind of led the way with it nominations. I mean, it six, nominations. six nominations. was quite a few yes. because Eisner committees tend to want to spread the wealth around quite mm-hmm. a bit instead of uh, giving it all to one. But they, they, they kind of mixed it up this year a little bit. So was a, several of the leading books had multiple nominations. Yeah, which, yeah there were um, a number. Saga had four. Uh, Killer Be Killed had four. Yes. Uh, Monstrous but Mon- had yes, three. Yes, uh, uh, Moon yeah. Cop also had three. Um, and uh, Fanographics and Image both yeah. had 20 nominations yeah, each. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I mean, the big two seem to be falling out of the running. It's because their comics the are Eisners. crappy. <laughs> uh, well, Compared to uh, the other books I think that are coming out. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Well, but I <laughs> but, mean, I mean you know, they, get, they have a number of nominations, but really, they don't get... No, they don't like because they if used you to. you know you could take any uh, reading thinking adult and put them down in a room yeah. with a, a, a periodical comic from Marvel or DC and then give them a copy of Moon Cup and you say which do you think is a better book and and I mean there's very few people who are not going to think that uh, this humorous complete and well thought out beautifully drawn Moon Cup is better than this one you know deconstructed. Uh, over-edited, badly colored thing <laughs> that is unfortunately the norm that Marvel uh, and DC. Okay, I, I feel like that's a little overly harsh, but <laughs> but I will say that I think in the past sometimes Marvel and DC got noms for books that didn't really deserve it. The but. most controversial uh, nomination this year actually was for a Marvel or DC book. Uh, Max Landis was nominated for Green Valley for Out of Image and Superman American Alien out of DC. And of course, this was met with quite a bit of eye rolling uh, in that uh, he's certainly not a darling of the social media set and, uh, you know, yeah. expresses a lot of views that are, um, you know, yeah, I'm actually not pretty familiar I- with the books, so. a- a- ableist, fem- you know, uh-huh. all that stuff. So, um, yeah. But, I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, I haven't been going uh, to, to Comic-Con as long as, as you have. But, I mean, I can certainly remember where Marvel and DC still care. Even when, you know, Fantagraphics and Image first started showing up on these lists, Marvel and DC just completely dominated. And it has just gone in the other direction. Yeah. I mean, although there are some very deserving books that did show up from Marvel and DC on this list. Well, there's only a handful of books from Marvel. And one of them is Chelsea Kane was nominated as Best Writer. Yes, a very interesting, I and, think, um, uh, in yeah, light of... I mean, there's, uh, there's not a lot of them, but the books that got on there the deserve Thor, to be there. 
Uh, Joe Thompson's Han, Wonder Woman True Amazon, which yeah, I which is a DC book, deserves to so be on there. It deserves uh, to be there. Guess Mockingbird had two. The Vision mm-hmm. uh, from Marvel was nominated Best Limited Series. So Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, yes. Best Publication yes. for Teens. Well, there actually was more than a handful. Yeah, I, I'm looking. There actually was was several. So, but that's but you know, they're still vastly outnumbered by oh yeah by other publishers. By, uh, those pesky indies. Yeah. They um, so actually had well, if you don't count like things for letters and colorists, which right. I shared, they had, they held their own, I'd yeah. say actually, and with good books like Brian Stelfreeze, best artist in Black Panther. Sure. Yeah, they and, they and all also he Stelfreeze certainly richly deserves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I think my b- biggest kvetch with the Eisners is that um, you know there's such a huge swath of material. I mean, seriously, how do you do you compare Red Hood of the Outlaws and Moon Cop? I mean, you can't. So, but I think that's <laughs> fair. Well, I, I, I yeah, think I it's fair. I, I think that's faced by almost all prizes, who, which are you know artificially try to isolate a handful of great works that are very often. In a period, I think we're, we're in a period now, which we talk about all the time. There were an enormous number of well, really I would actually, quality comics. I would, I would, um, I would um, actually disagree with that in mm. a way, and I'll tell you. And here's why. Sure. Uh, okay, let's take the best known awards with the Oscars. Um, you know, movies are basically in four or five categories. There's either a film movie, which is, um, uh, you know, two hours, one ninety minutes, uh, two and a half hours, or whatever. But you know, narrative films. Let's call it that way. Uh, so. I mean, it's the stylistic differences between a, um, you know, experimental uh, Lars Van Trier film uh, as different than Guardians of the Galaxy as Moon Cop is from Red Hood and the Outlaws? I mean... Yeah, I would say. Yeah. You say it says, it says different? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I say so. it. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean... If you, you take, for instance, the National Book Awards, which are a publishing category, mm-hmm. um, just like what, like what we're talking about here, I mean, you can make the case that there's certain whole classes of books that are, can never hope to be nominated. Right. That's right. No matter how good but they what, are. Okay. So what I was about to follow up with, uh, in TV, for instance, the Emmys, there are so many, they don't even show them all. And they mm-hmm. don't compare um, talk shows to scripted drama. They have different ca- they have different categories. And there's, like I said, there's so many different categories mm-hmm. that they ha- can't even televise them. Same thing with the Grammys. They have a different award for every single kind of music, you know? And then they all come together in the end at the best album, best song, and so on. But, well, I, well, I really feel like you don't... You know, comics are so diverse that you could just keep splitting by genre forever. You really... You really can't. I mean, you can split by by age range. You can split by continuing series or limited series or graphic novel. But like, if you try to break it down by genre, you'll be here for months. Uh-huh. You just can't do it. And I mean, when you see the Eisner noms, I feel like it's fair. Like you do see good representatives from a wide variety of genres. And yes, you do see some superhero books in there if they really deserve uh-huh. to get in. Yeah. I think I think it's fair. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, I mean, the, the Eisners have this long list of categories um, that, you know, the book world would sort of seem kind of eccentric. Uh, the, the National Book Awards used to be something called the American Book Awards, and this was about sometime in the 70s, so 30 or 40 years ago. They made the they made the switch. They had like twenty categories, mm-hmm. and the thing went on all night, and nobody remembered who won. And they made a conscious decision in the seventies to do away with that. 
to break it down into the, the categories that people really think about. Fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and then very recently they added young people's literature. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, it's but been I, a revelation for the industry and the award, uh, which is still fairly unknown, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, although I think that's going to change under, under Lisa Lucas, its new executive director, who's a dynamic personality. But I think focusing awards, even at the risk of eliminating some titles, has made it clearer who won and been able to attract more attention to the winners. Yeah. Which are like yeah. four winners. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think that's reasonable. Well, I, I think there's something to be f- space to be found between the two, because I will say there are some categories that I think are actually unfair. Um, that they have best U.S. In- edition of international material, best U- U.S. edition of international material, Asia. Right. Like, there's yeah. no reason to split that up. The only reason I they agree. did that is because they're like, oh, no, what if, like, we don't get as many French comics getting awards and they get squished out by I all those Asians? I don't think that – I see, Kate, I disagree. I don't think that was what the intent of it was at all. Oh, well, I think that it, it was more like, you know what, it's hard to judge these. How do you judge – these completely different comics tradition and French comics against this completely, you know, this manga tradition. So I think it Tough. was more. I, think I, that I know, it, but I, I'm just saying, you know, but Calvin and I have both been Eisner judges, yeah. and and you it's know, tough. it is tough. It's very tough. Um, um, although the fact of the matter is, they're they all shouldn't tough. be split. But I will say this: that um, I mean, at for a time, I did. I was thinking that about the Eisner. That I thought that well, all these categories is so they can kind of hand out something to everybody, right? That, so nobody doesn't get left out. Well, because I thought a lot for many that, years yeah. that manga was getting. Completely ignored. Yes. Uh, at a time when there was just some extraordinary work finally making it here. So, and then they came up with this. I don't know what the, um, uh, the, the, the issue is. Some of the categories I just don't think make any sense and actually hurt the books. Like calling um, uh, the first book collection of a periodical silly ser- uh, series a reprint, I, I just think it's terrible, a terrible idea. It, it, in the book trade, that's not a reprint. Yeah, you shouldn't, yeah, you but shouldn't be calling tra- that a reprint. But in the book trade, that... That model doesn't really work, does it? No, I, I, no. Well, most of the many of the comics that we're seeing in the book trade, in some cases, have been serialized. For them to be nominated and called a reprint, not cool. Is not cool. It's not good. They should, if well, you're a book, you in know, the book they trade. should. You know wait. something? That's a really interesting. That's it's a really. Not. But at the same time, I mean, it's, it's. You know, I do feel that there is a difference between you know the the content and the pacing. Of a book like, um, like I'm just looking here to see, which is interesting because the ones that are in, in reprint, actually none of them are serialized comics. They're all like stuff that was web comics first. Uh, oh, well, I mean, like, that's but that's not fair too. either. Yeah, that that is. That, but, that but, makes no but, sense. But you guys, they have a category that's called best ongoing series that is for serialized comics, as it should. But I mean, the fact is that this is. It's, it shouldn't be doing that. It's not. So if, so Moon Cop. Versus Red Hood. Yes. All the time. Yes. I mean, if if they if it's continuing versus continuing, or collected versus collected, or you know what, whatever. Um. Yeah. Or, or for instance, I mean, then some I think that didn't make no sense to me. The best reality based work. Well, you mean I, nonfiction? I agree. I agree. That's a really stupid category. Yeah. Things these type they make no sense. But you know, when you're sitting, there you can and, even call it memoir or nonfiction well, if you need you to. You know, the irony. So I guess what we're saying here is for the Eisners is because trust me, I know that a lot of times the judges will be sitting in the room there. They'll be like, like what Calvin was saying. It's like you know what? We're just not giving these great nonfiction comics. You know, like I said, Kate, it wasn't to take away uh, 
from manga. It was that they made sure that manga was recognized. It's like, you know what? We need a category for manga so that we make sure some of this manga gets recognized. So it really does come down to what you're saying. It's like everybody gets a cookie, except for the people who didn't get the cookies. And boy, I've heard some whining. This <laughs> yeah, as I do yeah. every year. I hear the whining. Um, so... Okay, so what do we think of this issue with the Eisners that I've heard mentioned many times? And perhaps you're both right. And what you're both saying is that, uh, you know, if if a book wins the Eisner, it means absolutely jack crap. Jack, 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 uh, snap. No, that's not what we're saying. No, 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 I'm just saying that. But I'm saying, no, 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 no. But I'm just saying that in the bookseller trade, it's like no one ever says, oh, this book won an Eisner. I've got to order it in my store. You're right. I think it means something to the careers of the creators. Yeah. Well, of course, of course. And that's worth something. Mm-hmm. But, I think- I, but I'm just saying it has no, like, it's not like if you win the Caldecott or the Newberry and all no. of a sudden you Because they're going right. to different, very different markets. But I will say. Ultimately, it's always argued in, in, in this country uh, about how much literary awards affect sales. However, people do use the National Book Award. Retailers use it as uh, a marketing platform. They put stickers on books. They do talk about it. I do think that in stores that have comic industry moles that have good graphic novel sections, there's always the person who's going to translate for the book audience and say, hey, the the Eisner uh, best graphic album new, and they'll just say the best graphic novel of the year right. uh, was such, such and such a book, you know, so you should know it. I mean, they'll translate. <laughs> right. Well, I there's a lot of issues around this. Um, I mean, I haven't ever heard, like most people really do complain that winning the Eisner for best graphic novel, which is, you know, in theory, the, the top, the top prize, um, it doesn't move the needle. Whereas, however, if a book does win the Los Angeles, uh, the LA Times a graphic novel and their book prizes, absolutely sales mm-hmm. go up. If it wins the Lynn Ward prize, goes up. Absolutely. You know, librarians are really into awards and recognition and mm-hmm. honors. And they are so... So maybe the thing to do is to promote the Eisner to librarians. Yes. Well, I... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure those librarians we know that are like comic book heads pay attention to Well, you it. know what, Calvin, you and I are both going to TCAF and there's going to be a ton mm-hmm. of librarians there because they love let's TCAF. Talk so let's it. talk Yeah, yeah. let's find well, out. Yeah, yes, it, well, we should talk about that. We should tell, we're, you know, we're a preview we're heading up right, to uh, right. TCAF. Yes. But, um... So this is an ongoing. I mean, the only only book award that is proven to sell books is the Booker Prize in 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 the Heidi. Stop that. Oh yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, we're self disciplining here at the <laughs> more to come. Um, the Booker Prize um, really sells books. Oh, they and love their prizes. Yes. The Costa Prize. They love Absolutely. their prize. And apparently, the the um, the Angoulême Prize. Yes. Moves the needle on book sales Yes, in I've heard that from a, several people. Including the fiasco uh, uh, where yes. they made a joke of the awards of the unfortunate leadership a couple years ago. Um, it was shocking to people because you don't play around with people's Because it's serious. It was our serious future. business. Yeah. So that said, um, I mean, it, the evolution of the Eisner Awards, I think, are fascinating. The kinds of books... That are being nominated and winning, and I think it's a it's just another look at at the growth of graphic novels to a broader, more diverse audience. It, in well, this country. It, it totally is, and and I I do think that this year did strike a nice balance. I mean, I was really glad to see Charlie Chan Ha Chai oh, get six. It's noms a masterpiece because we have talked about it on this podcast mm-hmm. quite a bit, and because it's, it's good because yes, it's, it's because really it's great. Good. But it's also it's such an amazing achievement, and I do think you know maybe my biggest. Um, like question mark with the Eisners over the years has just been like, 
Um, you know what? If this is the best graphic novel, maybe the creator is the best cartoonist too. You know, like maybe there would be a big strong correlation between those two, but but there often is not. And well, this year they struck a balance between that, yeah. where the the best book and the best cartoonist. There's there's several who are nominated in both categories, kind of like at the Grammys, the best song, sure. and the best mm-hmm. album. That's that's usually a big one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I see Sonny Lou and Tom Hart and Tom Gold for Moon Cop, which mm-hmm. is such yeah. a great book, anyway. Yeah. I so, have actually not even seen that book. It's so cute. I don't want to go all... Uh, Are you talking all, about Moon Cop? My favorite thing no, is Monster. It's it. about Moon Cop, but, oh, but yeah. it's a delight. Oh, it's, yeah, you know, yeah, Tom Gold is just... He's a... Yes, it's, it's a very charming He's a, car- a cartoonist for The Guardian. He kind of draws this mm-hmm. Edward Gorey-type um, cross-hatching style, except it's much more, like, uh... Conical, spherical, like abstractish. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of, it's a sort of a mannered, elongated figure type of style. Yeah. But it's it's easy. He has a very quiet and um, ironic quite humor droll. to his books. But, They're very droll. Right. That's a good and way moon to describe cop them. is a, is also it's set on a moon colony, mm-hmm. and there's this one guy who is the last cop on the moon. And he goes around his beat every day, and every day there's fewer and fewer people because nobody likes living on the moon, yeah. and this guy has to go around. And and it's a very sweet, whimsical... Um, well, you, you could even call it a comic about nothing, yes. because nothing happens. Yes. Well, I, I, I know there's definitely I mean, a something little... Happens, yes, something happens, but only happen. in the sense that, yes. I mean, his his work as a cop, yes. really, nothing yes. happens. But it is it is droll. It's droll as hell. Yes. Which is why it's I It's a very charming it. book. Anyway... Uh, anyway, oh, well, um, uh, the awards will be given out uh, at the San Diego Comic-Con International in July. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be, tell you all about it. We'll be there. We'll <laughs> yes. be there. For a given value of we, that does not include Kate Mitzel. Kate, do you want <laughs> we, to go? We want to get you there. I would love to go if I did not have to spend money I don't have. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, you, so Kate, so we're going to have a uh, GoFundMe. For we Kate. may have to do a GoFundMe <laughs> to get Kate to San Diego. Uh, I know. bet we could raise the money, I too, bet if we, we tried could, it. I, I bet we could Send also. Kate to San Diego. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. People have done that successfully. Yeah. So. But what we need to do first, though, we need to make sure we get you like uh, get you a media idea of something, too, so we can get you into these stuff. So we have, to, we have to do that in advance. Yeah. But yeah. well, this is a discussion. All right. We'll I put like this, this on our on our, our tick, tickler, our you tickler know, San file. Diego or bust. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. okay. So aside from the Eisners, uh, still everyone. I'm sorry. Every time we do this podcast, we talk about it, but everyone is still talking about Marvel. What the hell is going on at Marvel? <laughs> and right now, the what the hell is so Marvel. Does the number one so Marvel? No, no, so Marvel. Does the number one book of the month uh, really mean what you think it means? Well, let me let me try to summarize some of the bullet points. Like, Mm. so since last we sat and chatted two weeks ago, um, Marvel fired its publicist. Now, you know, it was he. He actually just said that he left. He left. uh, It was time for a change. So Mm. I say fire is a. Mm-hmm. relative term but at any rate he is gone i've heard various reasons but i don't know and godspeed he was awesome but uh so they but they have already hired a new person so um so they have somebody new on board uh but after that happened um i you know i'm on a bunch of marvel mailing lists and i you know no no mailings going out needless to say uh you know they were sending out review copies no review copies and and suddenly all of marvel's news was coming out on abc Mm. which is owned by disney on the abc website so and one of the stories was pretty amazing because it was on um it was on uh abc and it was said look 
We know Secret Empire looks pretty punk with this Captain America is a Hydra agent thing. But you know what? Just read the end of the story because it's going to be – it's all going to be okay. This is the most incredible <laughs> announcement by a publisher I've ever read, ever. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's as if a TV creator was like, hey, I know the first five episodes are terrible, but you should keep watching my show. Yeah. Now, the background, of course, and we've been talking about yes. this, is that people are really ups- upset about Secret mm-hmm. Empire. Yeah. Right? And they don't like this whole – Hydra Nazi thing, at least as far as it involves Cap, Captain America, and other and other other aspects. usually good well, guys. Okay, Particularly so, in a time where the rise of the the right well, is, is a really freaking. Annoying. I mean, I've only uh, you know, I mean, so much has happened just in terms of optics. I mean, um, there was an alt right confrontation. I think it was in Minnesota, and some guy was dressed up as Captain America. You know, it's not the first time that happened. To be fair, I mean, Captain but, America's shield has been used as a symbol by some other protesters but, and by Stephen Colbert in the past, yeah, you might recall. Yeah. But, um, but usually I mean, representing the other side. Can, well, that's wait, what can I read that? Yes. I mean, at Marvel, we want to assure all of our fans that we hear your concerns about aligning Captain America with Hydra, and we politely ask you to follow the story to unfold become, before coming to any conclusion. <laughs> We, we, your passion for the uh, Marvel is what keeps us going today. We want to, uh, that way. but they they basically say they the publisher issues a spoiler for its own series. Well, I mean, I don't think it's that much of a spoiler. I I, I agree. It's, it's not even the spoiler. <laughs> I will. But I mean, Cal, this Cal, is but, unprecedented. But it's an up, and but you, what's and unprecedented? You know I'm not lying. This no, is unprecedented. What, what makes it unprecedented is not the spoiler if there is one. It's it's that. <laughs> It's that they're apologizing for the beginning of their book. Well, I I think even more important than that, to me, what's really key about this is that they are so cloistered and, you know, like, like towered off, whatever the word is, at this point in their bunker. They're so bunkerized that they can't even send somebody out to say... This you know, they don't even have a Sean Spicer, you know? I mean, at least Spicer goes out and stands in the bushes once in a while and takes his questions, okay? Now, he gets abuse for it. But, I mean, they don't even have anyone who's facing the music in a personal way, um, you know. You're like, not they, even sending the interns, guys. Right. But you know what also is happening is they're missing the point, yeah. I think. They're, they're missing yes. the point of what this outrage is about. I, and once again, to me, it is a spoiler. Uh, they say Captain America will save the day against Hydra and will further prove that our heels will always stand against oppression. Now, but you can make the case yeah. that everybody assumes that anyway about a comic book hero, that the good guy is going to win in the end. Um, but they don't get it. People are upset because they don't like this association with it. Yeah. Not because Absolutely. Of, of, you know, what happens in this particular and comic I book. I mean, but they also they don't they, like they their just, association and they, with this. And they don't like the fact that Marvel has just kept on doubling down. Yeah. Every time they had a chance to recant or to yes. say, you know what? Maybe this wasn't. You know what? Maybe this new Coke stuff isn't the best thing. <laughs> All right. You know what? Just, Sorry just about drink that. a little more of it. When yeah, the time you finish please. the bottle. We promise did... you, you're going to like it. Yeah. You're going to like it when you're done. Yeah. And the thing is that. It's startling. Part of what makes it so tone deaf is that they seem to be completely under unaware that their comics cost actual money that people want to spend on entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. Like to be like, oh well, keep reading this thing that you have to pay money for. Eventually, we promise you'll like it. Like, no, why would anybody do that? That's the thing, you know. The, you know the 
the the plot line offends me. You know what? I'm not going to spend my money on it. I'm going to wait for something else. Right. right. This is what people are saying. But I, I, you know, the other and thing. And they wouldn't have even had to have admitted defeat. They could have just not made it the center of their big summer plot line. I, you know, the other thing is that, that Marvel just doesn't seem to understand how social media works in 2017 <laughs> or 2016. I mean, no. it's just like they really have no clue about... You know, uh, like like letting like negative tweeters like Nick Spencer and Dan Slott, you know, I mean, I, I certainly have a little bit more sympathy for them than a lot of people do just because, you know, it's no fun to be a punching bag on social yeah. media. Then you know what? You get off social media <laughs> when might. you don't just stand there and punch back, you know, and it never works. And, and you know, they just... Like at, at, at the, at everything, everything, yeah. and then they need a social media coach. Well, they, but well, you know, what, before you, you before you finish them. that thought, I just want to remind people that Ryan Panagos, who was the first tweeter at Marvel, was one of the first people on Twitter to get a million followers back in the day, about ten years ago. He was one of the early Twitter superstars, and of course, he got promoted. But you know, he and it never replaced. But anyway, I'm sorry, Kate. What, what they, do you think? They, they, at the very least, they need like a social somebody who whatever else their job is the rest of the time can serve as how shall we put it their social media consultant who they can parachute in whenever one of these blow-ups happens to like sit down with this creator who is just digging himself deeper and deeper and getting more and more upset and be like hey so i see you got a situation Mm -hmm. um here's some advice on how to handle it yeah Make your life easier. Yeah. And, you know, another thing is that, I, well, you know what? We could just go on and on. It, it is literally <laughs> a case. It is literally a case study of how not to handle your PR and marketing at this point. And yes. now another. OK, two more things. Um, Kate, you started out to tell about the first issue that wasn't the, the best. The, <laughs> yes. the, the best selling issue yeah. that wasn't. Yeah. So, of course, they aren't calling it issue one they're calling it issue zero because why not add something before number one <laughs> another layer of confusion i, I don't sure. know why <laughs> whatever uh so they were claiming that and indeed certain sales charts made it look like secret empire number zero was the number one book of the month or but is it <laughs> or is it? I get that sound Yeah. Uh, except for the fact that when you actually looked at the charts, that was only because of a technicality, which is that um, a couple of DC books had a version with a lenticular cover that was. <laughs> counted separately but it's the same comic it's the same comic and so actually secret empire zero is by the standards of is this the same comic is actually the third best-selling book of the month i'd like to point out that dc's two best-selling books are actually the ones where the watchmen button comes back so it's this extremely (laughs) once upon a time you know dc even talking about the watchmen characters was so distasteful you would have had pitch force now nobody even has mentioned it it's like oh by the way did you know that this this distasteful watchmen issue sold better than secret empire isn't that awesome yeah yeah people Um, are getting less and less sensitive about watchmen being brought back i think I think it's because they're not bringing back all of Watchmen. It's a very specific character who they've already said they've done it. And all the blowback on that has already happened. And yeah, I think it's because what blowback there was for that has worn off. And yeah. If I may say so, and I I think I said this a couple of years ago, I think that they have been 
wanting to normalize yes, the use absolutely, of, of to course. normalize the use of, of Watchman yeah. to, to make use of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as long as no one goes and asks Alan Moore about it, it seems it's like just fine, kind yeah. of people are sort of like, eh, they forget yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. Marvel is just such a big flaming pile of dog crap but, right now. And and there's more too. The <laughs> yes, there's more. Flaming, we, we haven't, there, we haven't even touched yes. it. There is, speaking of sales and flaming dog poo, um, while they may have the number three book of the month, <laughs> let's be honest, um, 28 different Marvel titles all had sales of 20000 or less in April, which historically has been Marvel's close to cancellation point. Like, they don't always cancel at 20000 but they frequently cancel at 20000 And for 28 titles to be down there is like unprecedentedly bad well uh it, it is true and as some titles are on there that we would consider uh, favorites like ms marvel unbeatable squirrel girl there's some really good books uh, the yeah. worst selling book on this whole list by the way was mosaic which is amazing uh, yeah, and um so but uh, you know i it's think a startling list now you know somebody was up there it's like these 30 books are going to be canceled and you know i mean people are just also mm. going out there with some crazy stuff yeah i mean so. they may not necessarily be canceled not everything that hits 20,000 is canceled. No, but I mean, this just shows why, why they're in such bad shape right yes. now. And furthermore, I think part of it is that the kind of person who buys Ms. Marvel, the kind of person who buys Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, is not feeling Marvel right now because of Secret Empire. Hell in California. Yeah. Going Minnesota. And yeah. Just as an aside, um, in the story we did about that... Uh, women's comics panel in LA uh, a couple of weeks one of the things that they said the participants were talking about um, including some of them who have worked for Marvel that uh, um, uh, that they depend on the actual the trade book collections they say more and more the publishers are holding off on cancellation on periodicals if they see that the book collections are doing well and they made the case that buying the book trades being the trade books uh, can often keep right uh, a a series, a series that's on the edge, it can yeah. keep it going if they can look to the to the book trade yeah. for a better sales. Well, I would say that things like Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel do very well in the book yeah. trade, mm-hmm. and so books that yes have a history in the book trade will probably be fine. Yeah. But it's, um, I mean, when you see drops like that, you know something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it. It's not as rosy as we yeah, have the number you know, one book I, makes it sound. I've talked There's to, also a lot of comics out there. Well, there yeah. are, and that's yeah. the thing that really, you know, uh, like we mentioned, I, I believe Brian Hibbs wrote that column for The Beat, mm. which, you know, went mm. hugely viral. And, um, or at least for comics news when he was Well, yeah. But I mean, By you our know, standards. but I mean, he pointed out that this was the thing. It's like, if you wanted to read Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance, it was like, okay, why don't you buy that one book? And we're going to, we're, Kate has a lot more to say about that later in the podcast. But, uh, you buy the one book, but then, oh no, it's not. It's amazing Guardians of the Galaxy and uncanny Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> yeah, and Star Lord's incredible, incredible <laughs> Star Lord and, and, you know, the fantastic Groot. And I mean, nobody wants to buy 10 books in for a penny, in for Happened a pound. And academic studies about how, uh, an over being a consumer can be overmatched and not buy anything. I think there were some studies done on, on American grocery stores. That there was so much choice that people just thought people maybe just I don't turned need around it. and walked out. They just didn't know what to yeah. buy. Yeah. yeah, 
Now, I will say that, I, as you guys recall, a year ago, we were having the same conversation mm. about DC. It's like, what's wrong? Well, they pull out. That plane is headed for the mountain. Are they, the pilot going to come to in time and pull out of that nosedive? Like, right now, Marvel needs to pull out of a nosedive. Yeah. Um, now, there was just a post. I don't know if you guys probably haven't seen this yet, but uh, I rarely post things from Reddit, but a little tipster was like, you should see this thing from Reddit. And it's like, basically, the... You know, legacy is is the 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 um, oh, yeah. you know the stick that's going to the maneuver yeah, that's going to pull the, the plane the, out of the nose. It's the lifeboat. Yes, yes it's the lifeboat. The and like, but it sounds parachute. like uh, what we have now. Uh, I, I I'm not going to verify these because I I. Um, but this is what you've heard. This is what I've heard. But it looks like Bendis is still going to write Iron Man, and he's going to write Miles Morales, and uh, mm-hmm. and Dan Slott's still going to write Spider Man, and Charles Soule's still going to write Daredevil, and Nick Spencer is still going to write Captain America. Oh, oh for Pete's sake! Uh, so uh, you know, uh, kill there it with is, fire. There is basically um, a lot of the same people. Uh, so it's not really a, that big a change. Maybe yeah. a little branding. Maybe it's Marvel now. Now. <laughs> yeah. Well. Marvel yeah, now, 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 I, now. I have no mm-hmm. response. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll okay. see. Um, um, but um, but sales are up, right? I mean, they're doing a little better, even even though we're talking doom, doing what gloom. with with Marvel. Marvel. Well, um, Were they, didn't they inch back up in market did, share or but something? I would say. I mean, you know, look. Let's not be completely like Secret Empire is definitely reaching yeah. some audience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, not, number three book is not to be sneezed yeah, no. at, and I mean, a lot of people ordered it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the problem is that they've, you know, they shored up their base at the expense of new readers. I mean, that's a classic, but, a classic but, maneuver. But it, it didn't shore up their base because a lot of the people who are most angry are are people who are emotionally invested in Captain America because they're longtime fans. Yeah, but 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 you know, Kate, I I I think a lot of the base is the people who. Yeah, I mean that's a large uh, number. They want to have, yeah. you know, they want to have. Um, I mean, that doesn't Bruce mean... Banner be the Hulk. Again oh yeah, but and... I'm not talking about that. Yes, yes. Like yes. legacy is shoring up the base. Right, right, right. We'll see if that works. Yeah. Right. But Secret Empire is not shoring up the base. No, yet. no, 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 not yet. No. But I mean, you know, the promise of the of the old well, yeah. white men coming back is is exciting a lot of white <laughs> yeah, men. Yeah, well, yeah, but yeah. I, let's be honest. But I don't. Go. Let's put it this way. <laughs> I don't even think that bringing back classic Marvel characters would necessarily be at the expense of new readers. It just depends on how they do it and how they market it. <laughs> because, um, yeah, it depends. It depends. It can just be like, we're bringing back your favorite characters, not like, we hate your new characters. <laughs> but okay. uh, I'm not, I don't have much, con- much uh, confidence. And on that note, what's going on at the uh, other half of the big well, two? Well, uh, DC has a couple things. Like, they've announced their own kind of um, dark dick story. Kate, can you fill us in on that? Yeah. So. As uh, one comics blogger on io9 put it, as I recall, it was something like, uh, Nightwing is f- goes dark because totalitarianism is so hot right now. <laughs> That's um, a great way to describe it. <laughs> uh, Totalitarian is hot. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't think they mean it in anything but the most cutting manner. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair to DC, they are taking a lot of steps that had Marvel taken, they taken this with their Hydra Cap storyline, might have contained the outrage to some degree. <laughs> which is to say, it's not set in the regular comics continuity. 
it's like in a future that may or may not be an alternate future. So it may basically border on being an Elseworlds. It's one of those things where it's all very plausibly deniable and it won't show up in the other comics. Right. And Elseworlds, we should point out, was a huge thing for DC during the 80s and 90s, a little bit into the aughts, where they could tell any darn story they wanted as they just said, oh, it's Elseworlds. Yeah, it's and an alternate they, universe. They, they did away with it, and now, now they're they bringing just it back. can't quit it. They can't quit Elseworlds. Well, they shouldn't quit it. It's it's a useful tool. It's a way of not having to come up with an excuse for why everything's fixed now. You can just write the story and be like, eh, and not worry about the consequences. I mean, basically, they've done that any number of times since they got rid of Elseworlds when they had, you know, those reimagining of... of uh, Batman or Wonder Woman or Superman's origin stories by somebody else, and it's not in continuity. And Martian Manhunter is dreaming. Yeah, well, yeah. when I was a kid, they were called imaginary stories. Yes, no, imaginary because they fired your imagination. No, no imaginary. Well, yes, no, actually, imaginary <laughs> stories are what Marvel calls them. Is that what it? Okay. DC calls them Elseworlds, but they're All the right. same thing. All right. So, um, yeah, having imaginary stories or Elseworlds is a useful tool. Probably people would not be as mad about the cap thing if it were an imaginary story. All people would still be a bit mad. Um, but even so, even so, apparently they're they're going to have a storyline where uh, future, possibly alternate, Dick Grayson uh, gets talked into it by the government into like registering uh, superpowered superheroes. It's basically. Marvel Civil War. That's what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. It, 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 it is Marvel Civil War, kind of. <laughs> only more self, uh, self-aware self about the fascist overtones and with a, a conclusion of, instead of being like, maybe the fascists have a point, uh, it'll be like, and it's bad. Do, you know, do we know who's doing this? Have they announced the creative team for Dark Dick? I, I don't know. Okay. It um, didn't stick in my brain. Because I, I was going to say, like, once again, if Marvel were not a flaming pile of dog doo-doo, can you, um, everyone would be all over, all over this story as, you know, has Mark DC done something stupid again? But it, or it, or has, has DC, is DC ripping off Civil War? Yes, And exactly. making it a Nightwing well, right. story. That's the first um, impulse that comes to mind. And, I mean, frankly, I'm not in love with this story. I don't think it's the best idea, and frankly... To put it in fanish terms, Dick would never. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there are some characters, okay, even Batman, who might, but but Dick, Dick would never. Yeah. Um, but but that you know whatever, I can put that aside because it's basically an imaginary story, even if it's one that I will roll my eyes at and spend zero money well, on. Well, well, this might not be one of DC's best ideas, but they seem to have a good idea. They announced last week um, kind of a reorganization. Um, apparently, a lot of the individual book assignments did get a big shakeup. I, I wouldn't term it a shakeup so much as I think it was just kind of making a threefold um, kind of reporting system uh, for Pat McCallum will be running all the DCU stuff, basically. Mark Doyle will be running um, Vertigo, uh, Wildstorm. You know what? Before, and wasn't Milestone in there somewhere? Yes, Milestone was one of That's under Bobby Chase. Yeah, and oh, then. Okay. But the thing that was most intriguing that got the most people all fired up was it right in this reorg uh, announcement they mentioned that Bobby Chase would also be overseeing DC's new young readers imprint. Yes. What the what the what what? Well, this was interesting. You because you a couple of weeks ago you talked about Dan Deal talking about yes. moving he was DC strongly. into a broader market uh, of yes. readers of all kinds. 
Yes. Kids and, spend money. Yes, they do. And you'd have to be a, a, a dingbat not to know that kids' comics are the hottest genre out there. Um, now, so, but nothing is known except that it will be launching in 2018. And also, a, a tweet from uh, Michelle Wells, who is a VP of content strategy at DC, and she formerly was at Disney and formerly at Penguin Random House, and she founded First Books Brooklyn. And so she really is a very well, uh, very well, um, connected person and she said i can finally talk about what i've been doing here at dc agents authors let's chat about kidlet ya comics and they are hiring an assistant editor for this line so yeah. it is all full steam ahead they haven't delivered i'm sure if we hang out with enough creators and liquor them up we'll hear all about it so. yeah i mean it's not like dc has not done kid books but dc has done it in a how shall we put this slapdash haphazard yes, way they have. that frequently these comics are not that great um not always but if they are good it's kind of by accident so it, you know to have a concentrated planned young readers imprint that might theoretically actually be good it's a but great idea. that has, like, people believing in it. I yeah. mean, that's well, what all they it obviously, They've obviously uh, got the religion after DC Superhero Girls. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're yes. publishing graphic novels, and they're publishing prose, and uh, they're selling them by the bushel baskets. Yeah. So, I mean, I listen, as someone who once worked at DC doing their your, your kids' line, yeah. <laughs> literally, um, uh, I can tell you... Uh, that was a long time ago, and boy, did no one have any respect whatsoever for these books. Uh, they were pretty much hated internally. Mm. <laughs> um, and, well, hated is too, maybe too strong, but they certainly had no respect. I was actually told at one point, like, maybe someday you'll get to do real comics. And, uh, you know, this is probably one of the reasons I didn't last very long at DC. So, um, but this was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have noted... Um, you know, I don't want to project too much. I have to be very careful not to project my experiences of nearly 20 years ago with what's going on now. But certainly, uh, I observe some of the same attitude in the intervening time. And But I have noticed, as Calvin just mentioned, that with DC Superhero Girls, all of that stuff I had to deal with is out the window. Yeah, it's a different world. It's a different world. And a Thank different marketplace, I think, God. in many ways. So. It, is, it is a change <clears throat> for the better. Yeah. yeah. And also... Um, like other publishers are in on this uh, this uh, comics yes. for kids stuff, yeah. right, Calvin? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Paper Cuts is kind of in the news now because it's New Charms line. The books are finally coming out. We actually wrote about this in 2015. Right. Uh, uh, Bridget Alveson did a story about the launch um, of uh, of Charms, which is yeah. for t- it was aimed at tweens, girls. That's uh, 10 to 13, as I understand, and. Um, four titles. Uh, they've just started coming out. Stitch uh, is the first one now. Now, um, there's three other. Uh, I, I've got them all here. I can read them. But one's called Chloe. Two of them are original works, and two are licensed. Uh, the original ones are Stitched, and um, which is actually written by um, Maria Herner. If I'm not mistaken, Mariah, Mariah, Mariah Hearn, excuse me, um, uh, who it seems to be a real all-around pop culture gal from yes. writing, drawing a little. Although it's and it's illustrated by, let me tell you, I can tell you in just a second, uh, Aaron uh, Alexovich. Uh, it's a supernatural tale about a ragdoll girl who wakes up in a cemetery and has to figure out who she is. Uh, and the, the other book, the other original book, is by a friend of the show, Amy Chu. 
uh, called The Great Cosmic Race by, by Amy Chu and Agnes, uh, was it Garbowska? Garbowska, yes. And it's a science fiction so adventure good. story featuring an interstellar scavenger hunt, a smart girl, and an alien shapeshifter. So these bus- books are starting to come out now. Um, Paper Cuts uh, is, um, uh, well, it's it's uh, it's aligned with its sister company, NBM, which does adult graphic novels. Um, but really, it's been one of the bright spots also. It has boomed. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in some ways, kind of completely outstripped MBM, which was much mm-hmm. older. And uh, In fact, look for a 40-year anniversary <laughs> story for MBM, which should be in our print issue in the next week or two. Yes. Well, MBM has always been kind of niche. But Paper Cuts is, is aiming at a wider audience, that audience being children. They yep. struck a gold mine. I mean, and, and I give Terry Nantier, the publisher, some credit. I mean, he has picked some really impressive winners. They're good books. Um, good books. Even starting over the Nancy Drew, uh, the Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boy series as manga. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, those books sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think it was one that got on the Ninjago bandwagon and that, they were doing yes, these they were Lego not, books. But, I mean, but which pretty, were, again, looked at He's on, made a lot of great. But the, the well. Geronimo Stilton books, yep. which didn't even have a graphic novel a license, right. they were originally published in Europe. They were only prose books. In fact, Scholastic published the prose books and didn't touch the comic side mm-hmm. of it. Those books have sold enormously well. Well, Geronimo Stilton's a hit series. Yes. Uh, great. All right. Well, let's have at it. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Everybody's been waiting volume for two, Volume 2. Volume 2. Volume 2. Volume 2. Make that. Okay. So, you know, we, we, we've done a little prep work where we know we have different opinions in the movie. So, I suggest we let Kate go first because she was the one and then we can, I'll go and then Calvin and then Kate can rebut us. How does that sound? <laughs> okay. So, and then. They're vastly different opinions yes, here. Yes. yes. Vastly, vastly, vastly so, different opinions. So, the Kate view, yes. Now, I have a disagreement with Calvin and Heidi on the subject of comic book movies in general, in which I say, I'm very easily pleased. I don't know why I'm so rarely pleased. And they're like, you're not easy to please at all. But <laughs> but I think this movie proves that I am, in fact, easy to please. They just keep missing the mark in a very obvious way, which is that when you watch Avengers, they all become a team. You're like, okay, so I imagine that now these characters I have become invested in who are supposedly working together will like get to know each other or something. And then they're like, nope, next movie they hate each other again. And you're like, what? Or or Batman v Superman. You're like, I like Batman. I like Superman. Maybe Batman and Superman will will spend some time working together on screen. And it's like, nope. Because I don't really care. I wish you guys could see the look on Calvin's face right now. <laughs> I'm oh trying to think, God. where is this going? Yeah. USC. <laughs> I, I see where it's going. That's my question. I, I don't care about which superheroes can bash each other's heads in. Or, or how much angst we can get out of everybody being like, I hate you, person I theoretically have some history with, who we've never, which we've never <laughs> seen on screen. Um, I, you know, I, when, and this is what I like about comics, is that if you have an ensemble cast, you, it's like a TV series. You get to, to know these characters, these characters get to know each other, you emotionally invest in them, and then you see them have adventures. And Guardians of the Galaxy 2 gave me that. It gave me the same characters. It did not make them into different or worse people. They did not, like, start genociding anybody. Thor 2! Thor 2! The plot was perfectly acceptable. Everyone was who they were. You got to see the progression of their interactions. I was like, these are people who live together. You know, they had 
the kind of 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 bickering and and this and that well which was played for all the laughs it could be that you could believe of people living in a small spaceship together for three months which is the timeline um you know like we cute little baby Groot um that was played for not only laughs although it was played for laughs it you know the characters related to him like he was a wee little baby Groot who had the brain of a little baby and you know had to continually be rescued from his ridiculousness and at the same time they kept the laughs they they had the music uh it was a storyline that was smaller like it was not i mean technically speaking they saved the universe and may i just say how ridiculous comics movies are that we have to like say things like well yeah there was some universe saving there at the end i feel like they had to squish (laughs) that in so you know it wasn't really very much about saving the universe it was a smaller plot um but that worked for me i was like you know you don't always need to top top yourself you can just tell a story that's true to the characters it's interesting i got what i wanted from it could it have been a better movie sure but i enjoyed it i went home i was happy heidi you're next yeah okay kate i have to say what what you just gave in your review of guardians of the galaxy is one of the most (laughs) illuminating things i've ever heard and you know i learned so much from you i i'm serious i'm 100 serious right now i learned so much from what you just said because um i am neutral on the movie okay there's parts of it i loved but i can't defend it as a movie i thought the plot was horrific i thought the second act i was in a comfortable chair i literally fell asleep twice i literally felt myself nodding off i had to reach over and grab some coke and drink it so i would stay awake because the second act was so boring however what you just said so i mean you know i i I, it really backs up something that this argument that with this ongoing argument i finally understand where you're coming from okay now when you said this is this is the thing you said you liked that they didn't become different people to me character development is the essence of all storytelling so uh so you know this kind of character development of seeing people in a different extremis i mean i understand that that's not quite exactly what you mean to me this was not a movie it was the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, The Experience. It was as if you went into an amusement park where they had animatronic statues of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And you would walk by and Baby Groot would do something cute and say something. Then there'd be another station and Gamora and um, what's-her-face? Nebula. There? Nebula would be arguing, you know, oh, my dad loved me more. You know, Thanos loved me more. And then you'd go over some other place and there'd be Kurt Russell romancing uh, Peter's mom or something. So, so you know, this was, it was literally like that. And, you know, I, as I went in, I turned to my movie-going companion and I said, as long, because I love Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. I can watch it a million times. I'm sure I will watch this movie five or six times. Um, as I walked in, I said, as long as this is just as funny as a bunch of SNL sketches with these characters, just like all the promos have been, I'll be happy. What I did not know was I would get that. I would get that series of character sketches and I would also get a series of MTV videos where a kind of recognizable but schlocky song from the 70s would suddenly blast. People would walk down a hallway purposefully or else look over a field of starlit daisies and the music would go on while nothing would happen. So it was kind of amazing that way. Um, there's a, a people... Um, James Gunn, the director and screenwriter, you know, the first movie, he had a co-screenwriter, although apparently 
Uh, they did not get along, and he ditched her script. However, the first movie had a plot. This movie had no plot. It had just people standing around doing fun things as if they were in an amusement park. Uh, some people will enjoy that. But for me, it was a huge disappointment. But I still laughed. I thought Drax was hilarious, and there were parts of it that I loved. But for me, it was not a satisfying movie. It wasn't a hateful movie. It just wasn't satisfying. Okay. <clears throat> um, look, I like the first movie a lot, uh, uh, and I'll make this clear, and I've said this before. All of these movies are the same movie. And this one, and Gardens of the Gallery, including the first one, is no different. The only thing, the only thing they have <laughs> to make them interesting, to make them more than, an, than, an, than an, a, a painful exercise in marketing merchandise, is if they can bring together some characters and actors that have some chemistry together, and the script, at the, at the very least, has some like memorable dialogue and exchanges, in some way to make these characters come to life on the screen. They were able to do that in in Gardens of the Gallery one to in to a, a really remarkable degree. Yes. it was charming. It was lively. It was a silly movie, but it took it did not take itself seriously, and it was fairly well written. Under the, given the the medium we're talking about, a blockbuster movie. You know, I'm I, I I can understand fans relating to the to to the movie and not caring about anything else, but I'm going to tell you, uh, I appreciate it. And I think it was a strength if you that can be called if it can be called that that the characters didn't change. What what did change is the quality of everything else. This, as far as I'm concerned, I hated this movie. Uh, the first hour was almost unbearable. Um, it was not, it was not funny. Uh, the characters were the first one was entertainingly crude. This one they were just crude. Uh, I, it's very difficult to me to come up with anything that even approach the entertaining value of the first one. Uh, it got a little bit interesting about an hour in. Uh, oh, that's when I fell escape. asleep. <laughs> well, well, they were escaping, and that kind of woke me up. <laughs> the escape was um, great. Um, uh, I, I can't, I can't, in good faith, say. I mean, there are one or two funny moments. Most of them are sight gags. Uh, the Zoom makes an appearance. Oh, that was funny. That's that's, that's funny. Some of the yes. That's almost gags. at the end of the movie. Some of the individual gags were hilarious. Uh, the most yeah. entertaining part of this movie was the end credits. And they, the Marvel has grown so in love with its little like film drop-ins at the end. There's about three or four of them in the credits. There are five. And you know what? That Those are the most interesting. The, the credit sequence, including the little dancing black and white gifts, are the most entertaining part of this movie. I was incredibly disappointed. Um, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know how they could turn this incredibly charming, clever series into what it has become. Uh, Kurt Russell uh, and his cybernetic uh, younger self was just awful and flat. And these characters that had so much life in the first one had absolutely none in the second. Oh. So uh, I'm going to end there. I was incredibly disappointed. I even read someone say saying that this movie passed the Bechdel test because Nebula and um, Gomorrah talked about something other man, but all they talked about was their father. So how is that passing? No, the, they talked the about Bechdel their child. Test. They did. Well, yeah, they, they talked, talked about an awful lot they about. They talked a lot. Yes. Yeah, you know, but they was, mostly talked right. about their father. You know, they didn't true. talk about yes. each other I mean, until the very end right. of the movie. There was, you know, for me, just I, I have to throw this at that. Just for me, this movie had no ticking time bomb. You know, it was like an episode of Star Trek that had no ticking time well, they bomb. Didn't have a ticking time bomb. <laughs> 
what? There was a ticking time bomb at the end. Yeah, but, but you know, but 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 up until the end, there was like that. But nobody it's, cared about of that course ticking not. time bomb. I'm, it, it, I'm sorry. Because they showed that this scene was, in all the trailers. I can't tell you. I'm never disappointed by superhero movies, mostly because I expect them all to be a disaster. But I was really let down by this. The, I, the first one was so entertaining, and I just think. It was all gone. Yeah. Um, Kate, yes. Let's have Kate. Uh, like Kate let's get Kate Do a little rebuttal because yes, she started rebuttal, off. Please. Well, when I say didn't become different people, I just meant um, I'm fine with character progression where you can see, and I felt there was some in this. I think that was one of the strengths, but um, where you can see how the character got to hear from there. But. Um, I don't have a problem. I agree with you. The characters were the same characters. Right. No, but they I was. I was. I was. The same. I was addressing that to Heidi, not you. Yes, okay. So um, I would say that, you know, definitely it could have had a better plot that even harnessed many of the same plot elements. It, I'm not arguing with that. Um, but I did, I still did find it very funny and I enjoyed it. And like I said, like, this is why I say that, no, really, I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to superhero movies it's just a lot of them are aimed at me yeah and this one was well i think that's fair i would love to talk on a future episode of the podcast let's i would love to talk more about seriously though about some of the elements that that because that i am a tv serial story teller person and now with all these things being series we think of them yes. as series yes. and so we want the things we want from series from them and frequently they don't give those things to us instead they're like how can we do what we did last time with bigger explosions well i'll tell uh, you yeah maybe calvin can say this but i i will say that one of my past experiences that i would never give up is going to see the empire strike back in the movie theater with no idea what was about to happen i agree and i'll never forget after three long years with nothing nothing uh, when Darth Vader walked out for the first time, the whole theater cheered. Yes. And then when C-3PO and R2, everything, every single thing, the first five minutes of that movie were like, I'm sure. just getting goosebumps even just remembering it. And then, what? What? Darth Vader? Spoiler. Is <laughs> father? I mean, anyway. So I'm just saying, it's like, it's a, but. You knew the entire plot of this movie. Yep. Five, oh, be, five, five two yeah. minutes into it. That's my point. Plots, all this stuff doesn't matter. These are movies are all the same anyway. What matters is whatever little spark of life you can get in a, a couple of areas in your writing, in your the, the chemistry of the acting, um, because the plots never change. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Okay. Now that we've talked about the movie, <laughs> let's talk about comics. So Heidi was talking about how Marvel has a million of anything that sells. And this hurts sales. Well, I have a anecdote from this very week. I walked into the comic book store on Monday and I found not one, not two, but three different Guardians of the Galaxy comics coming out in the same week. And I couldn't even tell which one was the actual regular ongoing comic ah. oh sorry guardians of the galaxy mission breakout number one it's got which, a colon you know how we feel about colon comics yeah <laughs> mission breakout number one which incidentally is a one shot which they don't say anywhere on it so i'm like is this an ongoing i don't know they've got all new guardians of the galaxy spoiler alert it's not new 
it's back to the original cast. Although it did get rid of Bendis, which, sorry, Bendis, I don't think you were a good fit for the book. And then there's a Jim Starlin Guardians of the Galaxy miniseries. All of these premiering in the same week. And so they didn't even stagger them throughout the month. So you, as a person who watched Guardians of the Galaxy, is like, yeah, I might want a comic. You come out and you're like, well, which one's the main comic? Which one do I buy? I spent five minutes trying to figure that thing out. And I'm a comics geek. <laughs> She's a trained comics geek. We shared a lot to talk about this week. But there's always more to come. <laughs>